and so I, uh, I, I have kind of worked through some of the, some of the um, more unusual verses, and this morning we are going to be doing genealogy. And so um, I, uh, I, I, I could tell you, actually researching it, we could do a whole series on just the genealogy of Jesus. I mean, we could. Um, and it would be an interesting series, but it's sometimes hard to preach genealogy. So um, buckle up. Um, and, and actually, as we dive into it, uh, how, many y'all are, how many of y'all are having extended family visit or going to see extended family in the next week? How many of y'all are less than excited about the prospect sometimes? <laughs> oh, wow. Um, <laughs> um, it, it, it's amazing, actually. Holidays can be some of the most stressful times because the people that show up are people that you love but don't always want to see. Isn't that the truth? And like every family tree has its share of nuts. And, and um, as, we, as we start to like transition into looking at the family tree of Jesus, um, there's more than a few nuts in the, in, in the tree, right? And uh, so as we work through it, like really what we're looking at is how it, um, how it comes to a point and what it tells us about how the world changes with the coming of Christ. Um, and, and, you know, so this whole series we've been looking at how Christmas changes everything. And, and specifically, like, it should change everything. Like, if the story is true, right, if you believe that Jesus was the Son of God, if you believe that God sent his Son to, like, save us, that he sent his Son um, to, to fix the brokenness in the world, if you believe that's true, it should change how we live. Like, it should not be something we pass by and sort of give a, uh, a little bit of attention to. It should be something that, that you know, is cornerstone to our world. Um, and oftentimes, like the way our culture works, we've, we've shifted away from it being a life-changing message, a life-changing truth, to it being something that we, you know, that we celebrate annually and put in the box and stick in the attic and come back to next year. Um, and so, as you know, this whole series... We've been kind of working through how Christmas changes everything. Um, the first week we looked at how God draws near to us, the distance that existed between God and man because of sin, and how God steps into our world and ultimately steps into our hearts through the person of Christ. And um, the week after we talked about justice and mercy, how God reconciles his justice with his mercy in our lives and what that means to us. Um, and then last week we looked at how the uninvited, the people who are sort of the unloved and the unwelcome and the sometimes the smelly or the, the ugly or the, the, the evil or the whoever, these people that you look at and you say, I don't want them at my house on Christmas um, <laughs> or I don't want them in my neighborhood or I don't want them you know, anywhere near me, how these folks are the folks that God draws into his presence like through the coming of Christ, how the, the uninvited are invited to God's kingdom through Jesus. And so... As we kind of dive into this last um, message before Christmas Eve, um, this is what we're looking at. We're specifically, the, the message today is the family tree comes to a point, um, and we're going to do genealogy, and we're going to look at what the point of the genealogy is. Um, some background, we're looking at Matthew specifically. Matthew is the most Jewish of the Gospels, right? So of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Matthew is super Jewish. Um, it is written for traditional Jewish people, and it sort of takes all of the Old Testament and ties it up with the coming of Christ. And so everything in Matthew's message is written to a particular culture 
and a particular like group. And so kind of as we transition into that, it's really important to understand that, and particularly as we talk about genealogies. How many of y'all love genealogies? Like, <laughs> love hearing the, and then so and so. How many of y'all love smart Alex? And <laughs> um, for Jewish people, genealogy was exciting, and it was important. It was about who they were as people because um, they believed very specific things about like who Jewish people were, meaning that they were the people that God picked above every other people in the world to be his people. And so the, the Jews, they believed that you know, God chose them out and pulled them out of everybody in the world, and they were special and unique and belonged to God as his, as his specifically chosen people. Now, if that's true, that means that it's important to be able to demonstrate that you're a part of that crowd, right? Um, years ago, when my wife went to college, um, she applied for a scholarship, or didn't apply for a scholarship, looked at applying for a scholarship because there's some Native American in her heritage, right? Is that about right, honey? And she's one generation too far to, to be considered, you know, enough Native American to receive grants for, for that. However, we knew um, a family in Indiana that was uh, Chippewa, was he? Uh, no, he wasn't Chippewa. What was the, uh, you know, Chase? I, I don't remember what he was. But he, uh, he was one generation back from too far, and so he, um, he received, like, there were casinos that were owned by his, his, um, by his tribe, and he received, you know, dividends from the casinos every week or every month and, and stuff like that. And he was able to document how his family tree worked and he was able to say, hey, look, I'm part of this crowd, right? And, and so for the Jewish people, there's this huge, like, genealogy is a big deal. And being able to demonstrate where they came from and how they belong was a big deal. And so as we read Matthew's opening, like, how many of y'all seriously read genealogies? I, I, there are a few of you, and ain't many, right? For the most part, like, I, I've been, for years I've worked with, with young people, and I've worked with folks who will say, well... I started reading the Bible, and I started in Genesis, and I did pretty good through Genesis, and Exodus was pretty interesting, and then I got to that part where I got to reading about who was whose dad, and, and it was page after page after page after page of this guy begets this guy, and that guy begets that guy, and this guy begets that guy, and after a while, I just gave up because I didn't want to read it. Um, Jewish men memorized those lists. Like, by the time you were 12, you were expected to have memorized them, and you could recite them. You knew who you were. You knew who the other guy's family was. It was all right there, right? Now, here's where this gets tricky. Craig, can I pick on you for a second? I'm going to do it anyway. Um, Craig has, is it an uncle? The, 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 the inventor of LSD. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but he's famous for it. So, so Craig's got a relative that, that is infamous, maybe, <laughs> for, for manufacturing drugs. And, and there are websites devoted to him. He's a bit of a pop culture icon, isn't it true? And, and he is, you know, and I, I think Craig's a little embarrassed. <laughs> um, the problem with everybody knowing your family tree is that everyone knows your family tree and there are sometimes folks that you say, man, I don't want to admit that I'm related to that guy, right? 
Um, we knew a gal, uh, she was the, the children's ministry director at the first church I worked for, and her brother and his family were on Phil Donahue, not Dr. Phil, were on Dr. Phil for like 10 episodes working out there who had illegitimate kids with who and all on national TV. And like they had big parties where they gathered and they drank a lot and they watched this. <laughs> and it was, it was so embarrassing because everybody knew that that was, that was Sandy's family. <laughs> what? Oh, no, it was Mary. That was Mary's family. It wasn't our children's director. Sorry. She's a good friend of ours. Everybody knew that was Mary's family. And she couldn't hide it, right? Like, there was no hiding it. People were calling her and saying, hey, I saw your brother on TV. <laughs> Did he really have a kid with the gardener? <laughs> and, and, it, it was, and so, like, people knowing your family tree, tree that, that's not cool all the time, right? It's good if you've got a great pedigree, right? It's good if, like, there's good stuff going on. Not so good if there are circles in your family tree. Not so good if there are no branches. Like, like not so good if you'd rather saw off part of it. Like, it's just not always a good thing. And so as we dive into the story of Jesus, I'm just having too much fun with this. I've got to move on. Um, as we dive into the story of Jesus, there's some cool stuff written into it. Um, but now here's the last thing we're going to talk about with this. Um, when we do things, our culture is exact, Right? You know, if I'm going to sit down and do my family tree, I ain't leaving anybody out. I'm going to do it, right? I may not talk at length about some of them, but I'm going to do it right. For Jewish folks, genealogies told a story. And the story was more important than the exact genealogy. Um, there's records of, in the ancient world, and they've been able to demonstrate this, like, like in the story um, between like Noah and um, – actually, between Noah and Adam – you know, these generations that are listed, it was really common to skip 10 generations because you mentioned important people in the lineage and it was to tell a specific story. Does that make sense? It's not inaccurate. It's a specific style of storytelling. Does that make sense? Everybody with me? John's rolling his eyes at me. We can argue sources later. I'm not making it up. Um, and so Matthew, as he does this, he does some rather unusual things with his genealogy and we'll get there in a minute. So, Matthew 1.1, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David and the son of Abraham. Now, son of David, son of Abraham. Like, right out of the gate, he's making a point, and he tells the whole story up front. He says, listen, Jesus was a direct line from Abraham and David. He is directly connected to them. Why is that important? Well, it's important because Abraham, for starters, right, Abraham was the first Jewish man. Everybody with me? First Jewish man. God came to Abraham and he said, listen, I made this world, I made all these people, and they're not my people. They're ignoring me, they're rebelling against me, they're sinning. I am starting over and I'm picking you, and you, sir, are going to be my people. And Abraham says, well, I don't even have any kids. How am I your people? There's no us. And he says, listen, if you do what I ask, if you be my people, I will take care of you, right? And he makes a number of promises. One of them is that his descendants will be more than the number of grains of sand on the beach, right? Now, for a 90-year-old man with no kids, this is a big promise, right? Especially in a culture where not having kids was a sign that God hated you. Not making that up. Promising him 
grains of sand on the beach descendants, lots and lots and lots, is like, it's like promising to win the lottery, right? Now, of the, he promises them a land, which is Israel, right? It's the, like the physical location of Israel. Um, also, he promises them that through his descendant, in the singular, through one of his descendants, his descendant, the whole world would be blessed, right? Matthew is working up to make the point that that promise God made thousands of years before Jesus was born follows through and is fulfilled in Jesus. So it's important that Jesus is related to Abraham, right? Because if he ain't related to Abraham, can he claim the promise? Not really, right? I can't claim to be like from the royal lineage of England. I can't say, well, I'm the queen's great, great, great grand uncle um, because I'm not. I'm not English at all. I'm Dutch and German. Um, anyway. Um, <laughs> what? Um, and so, like, that's a starter. Now, the second thing that happens is God makes a promise not only to Abraham but to David. David was the second king of Israel. He was one of God's favorites, right? Like, God repeatedly points to David as being pretty awesome, right? Now, David, um, as he points to David... Like, David becomes king, and one of the promises God makes to David, he says, listen, one of your descendants will always, forever and ever and ever, be on the throne in Israel, will forever be king of my, you know, of my people. So one of your descendants, David, is going to always be king. Now, the first reading of this was, oh, well, so there will always be somebody who's a great-great-grandchild of David who's king. But what we discover in Christ is that that one of your descendants is Jesus. So if he doesn't connect them, then what happens? Can't claim the promise, right? And so right out of the gate, as Matthew starts off with this genealogy, he does it in a way that says every last one of God's promises is fulfilled in Jesus, and we can prove it. So the genealogy is a little like having a, I don't have my wallet with me, is a little like having an ID card or a business card that proves this is who I am. I've got a card that says I am a pastor in the Church of God. I have never needed it. No idea why it was even given to me, but I have it. And if I ever need to prove I am a Church of God pastor, I can pull that card out and say, here I am. This genealogy is um, like that card, right? I am a part of this promise, and I'm a fulfiller of this promise. And that's where he starts. Um, and so we're, all right, son of David, son of Abraham. And then he starts in. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers. Why does he mention the brothers? Because that's all of the Jewish people, the 12 tribes, like every Jewish person, in theory, should be able to back their lineage up to one of, um, one of the 12 brothers, one of uh, uh, Jacob's 12 sons. Um, and Judah, the father of Perez and Perez and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram. I know it's a lot of names, and I'm kind of powering through them. Um, there's stories connected with a lot of these that are significant and tell part of the story. But we're going to back up. There's a name in there that shouldn't belong. Did anybody catch it? John, do you know what it was? By Tamar. What's Tamar? That's a woman, right? There are four women mentioned in this genealogy. Um, and that's a big deal because 
these four women? Like, first off, you never mentioned women in genealogy. Jewish people just didn't do it. So Matthew did this, and anybody who was a Jewish person would be reading it and be like, Tamar, what? These four women um, have some things in common. Um, Tamar specifically was a Gentile, right? She was not Jewish. Got that? So she is somebody who married into that promise, but she's a part of the promise. So part of what Matthew does here is he's coming along and he says, hey, you know what? People who aren't a part of the promise are a part of the promise. Even if you don't belong, God will work you into this plan, right? The other thing that happens is Tamar, her husband died in battle without having a child with her. Now, the law said that it was the responsibility of the family to make sure she had children. And so the brother would then take on his, his you know, brother's widow, and she would be his wife, and they would have a baby together so that her baby could take care of her in her old age. Now, the brother comes along and says, wait a minute, if I have another son with you, then my other sons have to split the inheritance with your son. And he doesn't like that idea. But he likes some of the other ideas. And so he makes certain not to get her pregnant. Ask your parents to explain it when you get home. Um, He takes precautions to make certain, and she is humiliated by this. And she goes to her father-in-law and says, hey, I need a baby. And the father-in-law doesn't take care of her. He kind of blows her off. And so this thing that is a promise to protect her, he doesn't follow through on. And so she goes out, dresses up as a streetwalker, and convinces her father-in-law to father a child with her. Yeah, is that a pretty story? (laughs) So when you sit down and you tell your family lineage, do you include that one? No? Check this out. There are women in the Old Testament in in the lineage of Jesus who, like, walked on water, right? Not literally, figuratively walked on water, who were awesome, who were like rock stars of the faith. Does Matthew include any of them? No. Who does he include? He included the gal who fathered or who mothered a child through her father-in-law, right? That's ugly. It's kind of embarrassing to say in front of a church, believe it or not. Um, We're going to keep going, but check this out. So the lineage there happens in kind of a sideways way, right? The lineage continues in a way that you wouldn't expect, in a way that you probably wouldn't be proud of. Um, and Ram, the father of uh, Ammonadab, Ammonadab, and Ammonadab, the father of Nashon, and Nashon, the father of Salmon, and Salmon, the father of Boaz, by Rahab. Now, we're going to hit pause there again. Well, and Boaz, the father of Obed, by Ruth, and Obed, the father of Jesse. Rahab, anybody know where she's from? Like where that name starts? Jericho. What did she have to do with Jericho? She was the prostitute who, when the spies came into the city and were checking it out, she protected them and took them out of the city in the end. She, like, is a prostitute. So now Matthew has mentioned a woman who got pregnant by her father-in-law and a prostitute. So this is a tree that is like, again, anybody, don't point or raise your hand, you don't have to. If you had a prostitute in your family tree, do you? You know, if you did, would you brag about it? 
would it be part of your calling card? In this culture, it sure as heck wouldn't, right? It absolutely would not. So he includes a woman who's a prostitute who converts to Judaism, right? She had heard about this God, and she said, I don't like where I'm at. I want to be a part of your faith. And she converts, and she marries, and she fathers, or she mothers. She is the mother to a member of Jesus' lineage, all right? Um, So that's two, right? By the way, is she Jewish? No, she's a Gentile, again. Um, So this is an outsider brought into the family tree, something else that the Jewish people wouldn't brag about. Um, And then the other, there was another woman mentioned who is Ruth. Ruth was not Jewish, right? Not only was she not Jewish, um, her husband died in battle, right, who was a Jewish man. She comes to Israel by choice. She finds a man named Boaz. Boaz is a good guy, and she flirts with him until he decides to marry him, marry her. That's the long story short, okay? In the ancient world, women did not do that, right? When you read the story of Ruth, it's actually a very cool story. It's a very pretty story, but it's a slightly scandalous story because what Ruth does is something that no Jewish woman, no proper Jewish woman would do. She chases a man who marries her, right? Um, she doesn't do wrong in it. I... <laughs> I'm watching John's reactions. He's making me nervous. Um, so Ruth is a Gentile, and she has a child sort of through an oddball way, right? She chases after a husband, finds him, and, and marries him. Very much like the story of my wife and I. She chased after me. And, <laughs> oh, i got to look. <laughs> and Jesse, the father of David the king. And so finally we reach King David. Um, by the way, that is 14 generations. Coming back to it, it's important. 14 generations from Abraham to David. Next, and David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. (laughs) Anybody know who that is? Bathsheba. Bathsheba was the neighbor woman that David saw taking a bath. And he invited her over and they spent a little quality time and um, had a, a, a baby that was a product. And then David's got this problem that he got the neighbor pregnant And so he has to take care of that problem, and he does it by having Uriah, Bathsheba's Bathsheba's, uh, husband, killed in battle, accidentally. Um, And and so Bathsheba is included in this list. Is that another one you want to mention? Hey, my great-grandmother cheated on her husband with my great-grandfather, and then, like, my great-grandfather totally murdered her (laughs) ex-husband. Do you mention it? No, this is not a pretty inclusion. There's another thing there, by the way. Uriah was a, does anybody know Uriah was a Hittite? And actually Bathsheba may have been a Gentile. There's a Gentile connection there, right? Why is that important? Because again, fourth woman included is an outsider, has a connection to an outsider. And so over and over again, Matthew is hammering a point home with this, right? The point he's making is God fulfills his promises but he does it his own way, right? All four of these women would not be the ones you would pick. And actually, I've talked to folks for years. I've been in ministry for 16, is it 16 years now? I love my wife because she remembers things like that. And I've talked to women who have told me, I've talked to men who have told me, God can never, ever, ever fix the junk in my life, right? 
God can never make this right. God can never step into the mess that I've made of things. I, the strongest one, I think about it, you know, twice a week. I, I, when I worked at the children's home, I talked to a young lady who had been a, she'd been a prostitute because she was a drug addict and helped her support her habit. And she, um, she said to me, well, God can't fix that. Like, God can't make me right. We look at the story of Jesus, like where he came from. His calling card is full of adulteresses and prostitutes and, and women who chased after their husbands like in a totally socially unacceptable way. And he can fix any of us. And he can use any of us according to his plan because God is amazing like that, right? God doesn't pick us because we're awesome. God picks us because... He's awesome. God saves us not because we deserve it, but because he loves us that much. Um, and Solomon, the father of Rehoboam, I said that one right. And Rehoboam, the father of Abijah, Abijah, I said that one wrong. And Abijah, the father of Asaph. And Asaph, the father of Jehoshaphat. And Jehoshaphat, the father of Joram. And Joram, the father of Isaiah. And Isaiah, the father of Jotham, and Jotham, the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah, and Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh, the father of Amos, and Amos, the father of Josiah, and Josiah, the father of Jeconiah, Jeconiah, John, am I close? Um, (laughs) Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations and the exile, right? Now check this out. Um, In those 14 generations, there are prophets and there are kings. Everybody got that? By the way, there's also like six or seven generations missing. Why are they missing? Either because they were bad guys or because, um, like, for whatever reason, they didn't belong in the genealogy because Matthew is more concerned with making a point than the accuracy of it. It's just the case. There's about six generations missing. But they were people that, like, put it this way, they are not a part of the promise. Does that make sense? They may have been in the line, but they're not a part of the promise. And there's sort of a little bit of a hint there. Watch this. Just because you come from the right place, just because you have the right parents, just because your pedigree is perfect does not, does not mean anything to God. Right? It doesn't. God isn't impressed by our, by our bragging by our thing. Like, God doesn't buy that. He does things his way because he is God, right? Because God can do things any way he wants. He's sovereign. So Babylon, they get kicked out of the promised land. And at this point in the story, I'm sorry if this is running long. I'm doing my best. It's genealogy. Um, At this point in the narrative, what is going on is um, God has just gotten ticked off with his people. They are doing things that they shouldn't. They've started sacrificing their babies. They literally would throw them in the fire as a sacrifice to Baal. One of the most offensive things that's ever happened in history. And God finally gets so angry. He says, you know what? That's it. I'm kicking you people out of the promised land. You're you're in timeout. And they get conquered. And it's horrible. And they get kicked out of the promised land. And they go into captivity. And they live as captives in a foreign land. Um, What happens is Babylon comes in. They conquer the country. They take the best of the best and they take them home with them. Right? They're all you guys are captives. You're slaves, you're servants, you're going to be second-class citizens, you're going home with us. And they leave behind kind of the riffraff, right? So like the guys who are at the bottom of the barrel get to stay. Um, 
After the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shelatile, and Shelatile the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel the father of Abiad, and Abiad the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim the father of Azor, and Azor the father of Zadok. By the way, Zadok was a priest. He was the first of the returned priests. So when they come back from um, from uh, captivity, thank you, Babylon, when they come back, Zadok, one of Jesus' lineage, is one of the first priests. Um, and actually, everybody was supposed to be a Zadok's descendant who was a priest after that. And Zadok, the father of Achim, and Achim, the father of Eliad, and Eliad, the father of Eleazar, and the father of Matthian, and Matthan, the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. How did he break the pattern there? Anybody catch it in the last verse? Anybody stay awake all the way to the end? <laughs> it's a lot of names. Mary and Joseph were married, but Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, because Jesus was not Joseph's son. He was like incarnate of God. Like there was no, she was a virgin when she gave birth. And Matthew puts that out there, right? Jacob or uh, Joseph was not the father, right? But in Jewish law, because they were married, he is included in the promise, right? Because God basically does things the way he's going to do them, right? He can do things any way he darn well pleases. And so, by the way, there's the fifth woman, right? And the fifth woman, not a Gentile, but has a child kind of in an oddball way, which is a recurring theme for all of the women in this genealogy. Um, what do we do with this? What does this even mean? Well, 17 gives us something there. Um, so all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations. And from David to the deportation of Babylon, 14 generations. And the deportation of Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. So 14 generations, 14 generations, 14 generations. It's three 14s. Got it? Um, what does that mean? Well, um, 14, if you take, like we have numbers and letters, right? And some of us write words using numbers, and that's weird. Or like if you're seven. Um, <laughs> in the Jewish world, there were no numbers, so they used letters as numbers. Got it? And so if you take the name David and you take all the numbers assigned to it and you add them up, you get 14. Why is that important? Because Matthew is saying, David, 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 meaning Jesus was this king who was coming along, right? He says it three times because three is one of these numbers in the Bible that points to completion or perfection. Um, three is also 14, what is it? 14 is seven times two, and seven is another one of those numbers that's like a big deal. And so like in his genealogy, the numbers of generations is telling the story, Jesus is the new king, right? And he's the perfect king, and he's the fulfilling of this promise of Abraham and David, um, so God brings about salvation through his promises. When God makes a promise, he follows through on it, right? God does not make promises and say, you know what, forget it. God makes promises and, and does it. Um, the second thing that's there is um, he brings about salvation in his own way. God fulfills promises, but he doesn't do it the way we think he should, right? Anybody ever get kind of ticked off at God and say, you know what, you really should do things my way. Isn't it true? 
Anybody ever look back at your life and say, you know what, if God had done things my way, things wouldn't have turned out as well as they did? That's the way my life's worked. I don't know about y'all. Jesus came through different circumstances than we expected. He came from kind of an ugly background, but part of what God gives us in that is it doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter what your pedigree is or your family is or anything. It doesn't matter because God is what makes you right. God is what makes you perfect. God is what makes you clean. God is what redeemed you. God is what makes you a part of the promise. Like, And he does it through Jesus who like takes our punishment for sin and makes us children of the promise like, like um, through the word is, uh, wow, sorry, <laughs> the record skipped. Um, when Christ dies for us, we're considered to be part of Christ's family, like if we're adopted sons. And so we become part of the promise through that adoption. That's the word, adoption. Um, God worked despite and through the exile. So he takes all of his people. He says, you know what? You've screwed up too much. Get out of here. And he sends them off into punishment. And then he uses that punishment to make the world right, right? He didn't quit. He didn't say, I'm done with you. He said, I'm going to keep going. And so despite the fact that punishment happened, God continued to be faithful. Um, I say that because, honestly, anybody, parents, have any of y'all, like, spanked your kids and still loved them when you were done? Anybody considered strangling your kids but still loved them when you were done? (laughs) Um, There are times that God comes to a place where he's angry with us. Um, But in Christ, he can redeem us. And the the redemption of the Jewish people was through Christ. Um, The Gentiles would be included. It does not matter if you are not a part of the in crowd. You can be a part of God's promise through, through Christ, right? God can include you because he can remake you into whatever you want through the blood of Jesus, Um, including the sinful and the shamed. Um, There were sinners and wicked people in that pedigree. It's not a pretty thing, but they're there because Matthew is telling us the unwelcome are welcome. Um, And God brought about a perfect salvation through this imperfect list. Isn't it true? God brings about the fulfillment, the perfect fulfillment of his plan, his only son, like who he loves dearly, who dies for us through this like mess of a list. How does this change everything, which is kind of the theme here, and I know this is a lot of stuff, but genealogy is really hard to preach. Um, That's my excuse. Um, It changes everything because it doesn't matter where you came from anymore, right? It doesn't matter who your parents are. It doesn't matter who your grandparents are. Actually, it doesn't even matter how bad you've screwed up your life. God can still use you. God can still redeem you. It doesn't matter if you came from the perfect place. If you won't be faithful to him, if you won't follow him, if you won't come underneath the forgiveness of Christ, he ain't going to use you, right? Like, God does things his own way, and we can't force his hand to play our game. Um, My challenge for you all this week, uh, as we go out and we do this last week before Christmas, right? Or is it last four days before Christmas? Um, Is that if this is true, right? If this genealogy is actual, then it means that, it means that God can include all of us, right? It means that Jesus was who he said he was because he's got the credentials to prove it, but also that God fulfills his promises to us no matter what we do. 
no matter where we've been, no matter what we've done, no matter how bad we've failed or sinned or screwed up, God can make it right and he can do it because, because he's that awesome. Even when we're not, he is. Live like it's true. I talk to folks who live at the bottom of the barrel their whole lives and expect the world to dump on them because they don't think that anything is worth coming to them. God loves you enough to make it right. Um, and he planned it from the beginning of history, right? All of it worked together from the very beginning to save you. Let's pray and let's uh, go enjoy Christmas. Heavenly Father, I pray to this morning thank you and praise you that, that you've given us just this amazing gift, this amazing Jesus who, who saves us. I pray that you would uh, just be with us, help us to um, look to you in this season, help us to remember you, and help us to remember that um, un- you know, those of us who come from bad places, those of us who've been to bad places, those of us who have gone to bad places under our own power, Lord, that, that you never, ever had your plans spoiled that your hands were on us the whole time and that you are always capable of bringing us back in Christ, that you are always capable of redeeming us in Jesus, Um, and that just even from the beginning of his story, the truth is there, Um, that Christmas, that the coming of Christ has changed everything about our lives, changed everything about what we should expect of ourselves, changed everything about our past, and ultimately, praise God, it changes everything about our future. Lord God, I pray that you would help it change everything about our right now. Amen. There 